All right, let's pray. And then we will dive into this week's lesson. Father, thank you for the time. I pray that this this week's discussion would be helpful. I know it's um, as I was preparing it, it seemed very basic, but I know that oftentimes I have a tendency to make basic things really complicated, so I pray that you'd help me to kind of stay out of the way and be able to um, allow the simplicity to impact us as it ought and, uh, and to appreciate and to evaluate where we are at as a church um, so that we would find a biblical and right balance. In your name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to apologize right off the bat. Last week I was sick. I had some sort of cold or something and um, it was nasty. I don't know. I, I thought that I was better. <clears throat> I think I am better. I feel a lot better, but just the congestion came roaring back today. I don't know why. I don't know if it's allergies or the cold. Just I never recovered. But so I'm going to do a lot of like uh, clearing my throat. That's really gross. But I just figured I'd give you a heads up that that's going to happen. Get all your being grossed out now, and then we can move on. So last week we talked about the church, and the purpose of our lesson was really to get down to a definition of the church. Certainly not a comprehensive definition of the church, but a simple definition of the church. Can anyone remember some of the key features of our definition of the church? I guess that would have been two weeks ago, not last week. A diverse group of people. Unified as one. I'm looking. Unified as one body by faith in and through Christ. Cheater. I did. <laughs> a diverse group of people. So we're um, valuing the diversity within the church. Remember, it is um, the fulfillment, or uh, I should say, a fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Remember, the Abrahamic covenant was God's promise to Abraham that through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And so we see Abraham growing into a nation called Israel and then that nation being done with formally as a nation when the temple was destroyed again in AD 70 and that the nation was essentially kind of like done, never from a religious and political Standpoint, it was done, but out of that, out of the true believer, believers in the nation of Israel, grows the church, right? And we see in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, the church explodes, and we see the gift of tongues come to, I think, one in large part to demonstrate that all of these nations that were promised that were going to come, all of these tongues. Are, are demonstrating in a very tangible, real way that all these nations are coming to Christ, to coming to God to become his people through Christ. And so we have the church, a very diverse group of people, because it's made up of people of all types, all nations, all both genders, not all genders, both genders, and the whole nine yards. <clears throat> so it is an outgrowth of Israel. It is, it is not Israel. But it is a, you could maybe say, a continuation or an outgrowth of it. 
it's connected, right? But it's, so it's not completely disconnected, but it's not the same, but it's connected. So Israel's history is our history. The Old Testament is worth reading because it is our ancestry. It's our history. So this week, our goal is to kind of take that definition and then practically work itself out to say, okay, so what is a biblically functioning church look like? So our goal is to discover what a biblically balanced local church looks like. The blank is balanced. And so I'm going to take... Uh, a far, much, uh, far more discussion-oriented, so Jim, your worst nightmare is going to come true, where I'm going to try to ask questions and hope that you will fill all of that in. And I talk less, because I really don't need to. Um, <clears throat> but before we get into understanding what a biblically balanced local church looks like, I wonder if in your experience you might be able to kind of picture for us what maybe some of the bad, imbalanced churches might have looked like that you've had experience with. Maybe you've heard of them or seen them. How would you de- how would you describe what an imbalanced church might look like? Look like? Jim? Um, maybe this is the right answer. I have been to churches where it was focused maybe more on the entertainment value of it than the word. Okay. Right on the tip of your tongue, say it. Just go. I've seen um, churches where they're more, I think the word is legalistic, okay. um, where the outward, I mean, they teach it's biblical, but they imbalance that way, where, you know, just outward is like huge and um, you're judged, you know, judgmental, I guess, you know, and we don't have. When I came here, I was like, wow, it's really different in that way. Okay. So you're, on the one side, you have legalistic. On the other side, you have cater to everybody's wishes to get them in, maybe. And I'm adding, right? But, <clears throat> I mean, those aren't the only extremes or types of imbalanced churches. What are some others? Focusing on the whole word, you know, they, they focus on certain aspects of the word, but skip others. Such as what? You know, some people tend to focus on the, the good things in the Bible, as opposed to uh, you know understanding that there is a significant portion of the Bible talking about hell. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna sit down. If that's right. With you. Because it's going to be a true discussion. You're going to have to move that. Are we good with that still? Yeah. All right. So, do you have anyone in mind like that? <laughs> a certain pastor in Texas, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyone else? Your mom and I left the church. <clears throat> a real, true, biblically balanced church, and the pastor resigned and went someplace else. And the replacement guy uh, came with the the guise of being a biblically balanced man, but 
after six months of listening to him preach, I don't think he ever used the Bible to compare any sermon notes with. So there was no teaching at all relative to what Scripture has to say. His message came from his opinion about things instead of from the Bible. So he lost his focus on Scripture and the importance of Scripture and still tried to run a church that way, and it didn't work. What about a church that uh, <clears throat> is ingrown, where the focus is not on outreach, but it's just on like their little. It's it's all focusing on themselves. It might be a really family oriented fellowship, really high fellowship church. You know, they're really close knit, but that's an emphasis on a good thing, right? And I think every one of our, well, except for your illustration about the guy who was not faithful to Scripture, I think all of us, all those examples would be an emphasis on a good thing, but an overemphasis on the good thing, right? Because it would be good, in your case, to, it's good to evangelize, but not to do so to the extent where you completely compromised the very nature of the gathered church, right? A worship service is to worship God. Unbelievers can't worship God, yet we're going to cater to unbelievers to try to get them to want to worship God. That doesn't really make much sense. You know, in your illustration, I mean, rules are actually good. Um, Really, the New Testament has no shortage of rules. It just makes them all the more difficult actually but a preoccupation with that can be taken to such a degree that it becomes unbalanced and unhealthy you know so you have like the sellout church where they're just or the church that might be infiltrated where they have um, wanted to be so welcoming that they've lost uh, control of of the the membership, right? And so you have just who knows who joining just because they want numbers. Um, or what about a church that is so like high-minded or so, uh, I guess these would be two, but like in their, their teaching, they're so doctrinal. They're so, you know, all, I mean, they're all about the word, and that's a good thing, right? We would never want to say, well, you shouldn't be all about the word. But what about that church that is just leaves you in the dust, you know, that has no connection to reality of everyday people to the point where you're thinking, like, well, what good is this? I mean, it only caters, let's say, to the mature believers. You know, it's just constantly preaching meat so much that, you know, you and I walk in on whoa. Both extremes there, you can have that, and you can have the other side where right. maybe they're over, uh, you can say it this way, overly evangelistic and forgetting about the discipleship portion of Yep. It. You know, like I, I remember there was a church when I was in Milwaukee, and it would be of that legalistic variety, and they're, they were preoccupied with high church. Like, uh, I mean, it was Bob Jones beyond, you know, not to rip on Bob Jones. Bob Jones is a good school, have a lot of friends and family that have gone there, but I mean, 
they they would take that to the extreme, you know. So it's like if you're not worshiping God with, you know, an organ and a piano and a full orchestra, you know, <laughs> and only singing hymns that were written in the 1800s, you know, this is not. Um, and if you're not using the King James version of the Bible, you know, you're you're off track, and. And if you don't have a vibrant bus ministry, <laughs> you know, with neighborhood Bible time that reaches out in every corridor of the city, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that picture of uh, churches, that's imbalanced. <clears throat> so as, before we, I want to throw you two softball questions. I think they're softball. Before we really tease Kind of like, okay, so we just took a bunch of examples and kind of like looked at them, like why are they bad? But I want to, how do we put all that together to make a, to get a vision of a balanced local church? What is that supposed to look like? What is it supposed to do? I want to throw, I think, softball questions to you. What makes up the essential components of a local church? Or if I could try to give you a hint, the real question is who makes up the essential components of a local church. What? Believers. Okay, believers. Right, because the church is people, not a set of programs or the physical building. So we have believers. What else do you have to have to have a local church? As far as people. You gotta have a pastor. What else does Timothy and Titus say? Well, Paul. What? Deacons. So those are the two offices of a church. Pastor, elder, pastor slash elder slash bishop slash overseer slash shepherd slash whatever. So those are all the same. So there's pastor and deacon. Members. And then who is the most important of any person in a church? Christ, right? Because he's the he's the cornerstone, he's the foundation. He is So those would be the components, the who. But what uh, unites or unifies a local assembly? Like why aren't we uh, members? So the obvious one is Christ and that we believe in him. Okay? So t- setting that aside, what differentiates our local assembly from uh, Woodhaven Free Will Baptist Church right down the street? Principles, kind of doctrine. Right. So, what separates us from Bethesda Baptist Church, Nellon Park, or Inner City, or Woodhaven Free Will Baptist Church, or the Assembly of God Church? over by Southland Mall or the Presbyterian Church in Trenton. What, what separates us, it's not that they're not believers and we are believers and that we're the true ones and they're kind of like, mm-hmm. it's that we have a, a, a commonly agreed upon doctrine that we share together. So when we come in and we say, we're going to join this church, there has to be, and we all agree together on, I mean, 
for the most part. That's a, I mean, Pastor Ken's pretty clear in his in the membership class. You don't have to agree on every fine detail of our doctrinal statement, but you have to be in essential agreement and and be at least supportive in the areas where you disagree. <clears throat> so, before you answer this next question, which is what we'll tease out the rest of the time, and I suspect we'll get done, I hope early. Which does me no good because my kids are going to be tied up till eight fifteen. So, but before you answer this next question that we tease out the rest of the time, I want you to try to put your minds in a position to think outside of America, because I think typically as American Christians, when we start to think about the church, we only think about it in Americanized terms. So, the question is, what is the local church supposed to look like? Or, what are we supposed to be doing as the local church? And remember, I'm asking you to think globally, not as an American, or not only as an American. So, whatever we say here has to be able to be applicable or uh, seen in a church in Africa or a church in China or a church in Australia or in the jungle of Brazil. Okay, so a church needs to evangelize. Need to assemble. Okay. Some, some sort, some way. Yeah. It doesn't have to be... <clears throat> assemble to do what? To worship. Okay. I was going to say meet regularly to yeah. worship. Okay. And along those lines, um, to help iron sharpening iron, to help one another grow in Christ, to become to become more Christ-like, which glorifies God. So, so we would call that, in a big term, it might be discipleship. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of it. Kind of blends together with fellowship, right? Because fellowship isn't just necessarily like hanging out with your buddies and golfing like I hope to do on Friday but it's it's that iron sharpening iron bearing others burdens that one anotherness that the family of God kind of idea so there's evangelism there is that fellowship doing life together there's worship okay baptism I mean that would baptism is typically considered an ordinance which is a good thing we gotta have that right baptism is kind of like the entry right into the membership my boss actually said something really Interesting today on the way to the airport. I think he put it as if you have a, a, a person who professes Christ but is un, but is uh, detached from a local assembly, there's no way to essentially not question their profession because being attached to a local assembly is 
like the certificate of their their profession. It's it's the authentication of their profession. Because who else is there to substantiate someone's claim to be a professor of Christ? Well, God has designed the church to be that. Okay? So that would be kind of like under the heading of fellowship. Did um, someone uh, say this yet? Um, to be taught, to be learned, to learn, be a learner of Christ. So, preaching, yeah. instruction, teaching, this kind of stuff. There's one other one that we have an entire. Communion. What? Communion, the, the, the Lord's Supper. Okay, well, that would be another ordinance, and I don't mean to diminish that, but. Go with the baptism. Yeah. I mean, I think that Tim Robinson is the head of this whole thing, or maybe Larry Castle, I can't remember, but he's the community blank coordinator. Starts with an S. Service. Service. So if if you did an acronym, some people have done an acronym of WIFES W I F E S. Worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism, and service. If you boiled everything down, you could fit just about everything under those five headings of what is a biblically balanced church to be doing? Worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism, and service. We do that. We are a balanced church, I think. Am I that boring? I gotta go pick up Dave. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, please So, again, wives. And if you feel so inclined, you can put an apostrophe there just to make sure that it's not, you know, plural. Oh, yeah. not polygamists. So, wives, worship, instruction, Fellowship, evangelism, and service. Have you ever heard any other ways of kind of putting uh, the responsibilities or the functions of a local church together? Just curious. Yeah, have you ever heard of any other ways of kind of, maybe not saying those five things, but kind of getting to the heart of what a local church does, the function of a church? Have you ever heard of any other ways of kind of ticking through a list? Like the, the making maturing disciples that are becoming okay. more Christ-like. Yeah. So, something to that, but kind of like... Yeah. What we have on our bulletin. Yeah. Like a slogan or a mission statement. Yeah. So I think those five things are the things that we do. Um, a couple different ways to categorize them would be this. One would be uh, to have a upward, inward, and outward focus. So a church is to have an upward focus that is all they do is to worship, exalt, glorify God. They're to have an inward focus of uh, instruction and fellowship. 
and they have an outward focus of service and evangelism. So that would be another way to kind of, you know, piece all of those things together to think through it. So upward, inward, and outward. That would be a way to think through it. Your, the article in your book by Gene Getz um, kind of tagged these as three different types of experiences that everyone must have in a church, in a local church. And he talks about a learning, relational, and witnessing being that sort of community. So um, you could kind of weave those things in there as well. Maybe not quite, le- quite as nicely and neatly as the upward, inward, outward, but a learning community. So there's instruction, uh, relational, there's fellowship, maybe tie service in there. Um, you know, everything is kind of worship, so I guess I don't know how that one fits in there exactly. Then witnessing would be the evangelism and maybe service as well. Um, but you can kind of see how different people have skinned the cat different ways, but... Really, at the end of the day, there's essential things that have to be going on, right? Like in all of the churches in the New Testament when they gathered, particularly when you read through the book of Acts, you see they're gathering together on the first day of the week. They're worshiping God. They're praying. They're sharing with one another. They're fellowshipping. They're serving one another. They're giving of themselves for the best interest of the other person. They're you, obviously they're evangelizing because this place is exploding in growth because thousands of people are being added on a day in day out basis. So you get that that picture when you boil all of that data down. I think those five things are pretty comprehensive. Look, so I guess one of my questions is is that what did you have a question? Sorry. No, go. Um, Discussion. I don't want to trip you up at this point. Um, but in our home, we're wrestling with some friends of ours who have joined this home church movement. And so, I, I mean, talking to my teenage boys, you know, trying to talk it through with them. And I don't know if this refutes it or gives it legs. I don't know. Um, can you do all these things in a home church in our day and age? Probably depends on the home church. I mean, do they have a pastor? Do they have deacons? Do they have? Do they regularly gather together? Do they have? You know, some some means of recognizing like who's in and who's out. You know, okay, don't call it formal membership or not, but like, I mean, if it's just one like. I think that it, what I would be refuting is the one family that, like, the dad decides, well, I'm the pastor. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've actually seen that. I mean, there's, and it's, you know, if that's the kind of thing, then I, I think that the Bible categorically would refute that because it's, how do you do one another's within just the context of your biological family, even if you're a family of 18 or 20? Which is mind-boggling to say it I mean, in and of itself. I mean, but would they have a pastor? Not at this point. <laughs> I'm not saying that a church can't be, it ceases to be a church when it's pastorless and it's looking for a pastor, but to 
mean, how? They're just trying to trying to gather, you know, some people together. Most Old Testament churches like that, anyways. We know some people like that too, and that would be one of their arguments, basically. That hey, we meet, we don't have a guy in the pulpit, and we're all an audience, basically. Yeah. We're all sitting in a circle, and we're discussing it and learning about God versus having some guy up here just kind of preaching it at, at me. We're all we're all overseers. Yeah, I mean. I guess I would say prove that one from scripture, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that it's wrong to meet in a home. I don't, I don't, that's why I think if you go back to these five things and where I was going, this is a good kind of segue, but also a good uh, example. Who cares where you meet? Like, you've got to do these things. So you skin the cat how you need to skin the cat for your context. But this is what you have to do if you're going to be a biblically balanced church. So if you can do that in a home, and you've got a body of believers with a pastor and deacons and agreed upon set of uh, uh, doctrinal statement, you can administer the you know you're administering the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. I mean, and you're worshiping, instructing fellowshipping, serving, evangelizing, then go for it. So, but that's why I think that, yeah, we think of it in American terms, right? We think of it as, well, the way to do church is you got to have a building and you got to have, you know, this many people and you've got to have this style of, you got to have a guitar player, you got to have a pianist or, you know. So what about when I... When Mallory and I got to go to Africa, I think the second year we were married in 2009, I mean, their instruments in most of those churches in the bush of Africa were their hands, and they would clap, and their singing was awesome. What are we going to tell them? Oh, I'm sorry, you can't have beat in your, your, I mean, like, imagine... You know, the crazy legalistic church who says, well, you can only have an orchestra and a hymn, uh, or only use hymn books. Can't use a projector. You know, and, you know, this is the way to do it. Got to have an organ. So what are you going to tell the church in Africa who doesn't, what is a piano? You know? There's a cultural context that you have to have. Yeah. You can't impose you can't <clears throat> on... Uh, wants a Tanzania, you know, uh, the church there, you know, Akalibro or whatever yeah. those other church, you can't impose on them the same standards and style that you guys here use here or that we use at Inner City. It's, it's a different culture. They, Their whole mindset of life is different than ours here. Yes. You know, so you can't, we couldn't go in there and impose on that. Let, let them figure out what their but I, I do think that they need to be beyond what you're talking about, about, you know, 16 or 20 people sitting around the table and everybody giving their opinion about it. I think you're going to end up with 16 or 20 different opinions about a passage of Scripture. See, I think the church does need to have someone as a leader. That's biblical to have a pastor. Someone has to lead those people and direct them to the right thinking about Scripture instead of letting them have 
20 different units. But that's right. I mean, like, how, how would they interact with, you know, Acts when Peter, in the day of Pentecost, is doing this massive sermon? It had to be open air and in a large venue because thousands of people were added to the church that day. I mean, okay, maybe they all disbanded from there and they went to their separate areas, but I can't imagine that those houses were, you know, oh, we got ten people sharing their opinions when Paul tells Titus that when he goes into an area, appoint elders. And here's the qualification for an elder. Well, that's not a, that's not just a, a, a qualification for a dad. They're like, oh well, you know, let's let's start a church at home, and I'll be the pastor. Bedside Baptist. And you guys all come into my room, and you know, I'll preach a message while I'm in my pajamas, and we'll sing a song, and like, well, I don't I don't see how that's biblical. But that that maybe that's just me. So <clears throat> here are some some statements that I think kind of capture this whole idea. Not comprehensively, but inner city. They have a statement. It says inner city exists to glorify God, so there's the worship. By making and maturing disciples, so there's the uh, evangelism. Uh, and the maturing would be the discipleship. And in, obviously included in there would be the outgrowth of that maturing would be service. Making disciples who are becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this change, there's sanctification, there's Christ as the head. And obviously not everything is going to be captured in one little statement like that. But you see key components, right? Um, the church that I was at in Milwaukee, we had a little tagline, kind of like we have the family of God built in the word of God for the glory of God. We had one that said, adoring Christ, adorning, the, adding the N, adorning his gospel, advancing his church. So we had there, adoring Christ, love, love God, love Christ, relationship. You know, there's a whole bunch that's, you know, even the way we preach is about the gospel and about Christ adorning his gospel. So that's our maturity. That's our service. That's our fellowship. That's our life together in our community because we're showing that we are one in Christ. So we are um, commending the gospel by the way we live and then advancing his church is evangelism. It's, it's, it's growing it. It's so we, that was a kind of our creative way and stab at trying to incorporate important things that the church has to do to be a balanced church. CBC, the family of God, fellowship, community, service, built on the word of God, instruction, worship, to the glory of God. So it incorporates a lot of that stuff. But again, I go back to whatever we say here has to be workable in all local church contexts. Like, do we... Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? Okay. Because... So if you were to hear... I'm going to give you two... I already did the illustration on the conservative side. 
In order to be a biblical church, you have to be using the King James Version of the Bible. You have to have an organ and a piano. You have to only wear skirts and have your hair combed, parted over to the side men, and so on and so forth, right? There's literally churches that would preach that kind of message. Well, some people... Pete is in trouble. Pete is in trouble. But you're okay because you don't have long enough hair to part right now, so... But you're wearing blue jeans, so... You're out. Right. But you would not be in the elite. Yeah, you're not in the elite because you don't have a comb over. You and I, we're going to hell because we have spiky hair. So my dad's okay because he's got the part. Can I tell you this? But that is, that, so if you hear crazy stuff like that, that's not biblically balanced, right? Story, and then I'll give you the other. Quick story. When my wife and I came to inner city back in in the middle 70s, uh, they had a a meeting because we're going to have a little softball league intermurally within inner city and played on Monday nights. So I'm in the chapel at this meeting and picked for a team and a man who is now going to be with the Lord was sitting behind me and they said something about um, the type of uniforms and stuff that we should wear and uh, that kind of thing. And uh, the guy behind me says, yeah, and Fisher needs to get a haircut. At the time, I mean, we've probably been married uh, two, three years. That had to mortify my My hair was a little, she wasn't in there. My hair was a little bit over my ears, you know. Basically, same style as I got now, but it was just over my ears Mm -hmm. and maybe down on my collar a little bit in the back. The style of the 70s, you know. uh, You were a beetle. And yeah, (laughs) something like that. And and he said, uh, yeah, Fisher needs to get a haircut. Right out loud, you know, a couple hundred guys in there, you know, Fisher needs to get a haircut. Okay. That was the, if you want to call that the legalism, you know. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get a haircut, but I still played. But that was the mindset of, of the day. You, you, you weren't supposed to look like the world because we're Christians, we're different. And, and it was, that translated into the way people thought. This is a great guy. I mean, this, this is a godly man. So you have that side, but you also got to have the other side, right? You could have the uh, Willow Creek, Bill Hybels model, which some of you probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but the mega church model of like, well, if you want, if you want to be a, a church that really does what God wants you to do, you want, I mean, we got to win Christ, you know, so we're going to go in, we're going to do all these demographic studies, and we're going to find out what the target audience is, and we're going to do everything that we can to cater to these people's wants and desires. And if you want to do church right, that's what you got to do. So you need to have secular music playing throughout your sound system when people walk in. You know, you need to have, uh, because that, you need to have a band up there. Nothing wrong with it. Is there anything wrong with the band? Is there anything wrong in, like, with necessarily secular music? You know, not necessarily some of it, yeah, but not all of it. But, but there's a, but to do church right, you've got to do the band. The lights got to be low. You got to do a talk, not a sermon. You can't preach. You got to do a talk, and the talk has to be a certain style. And it has to cater to those people and deal with their felt needs. Like, 
all of that in some senses is like I'm not saying that all of that's bad. We do a lot. We we've stolen a lot of the good stuff and implemented it here, but we haven't sold out though. So, can we say in the jungle of Africa that well, you got to play secular music when you walk in? The, well, wait a second. We don't have a sound system. Problem number one. We might not have a building. You know what I'm saying? So we have to think, what is the function of the church? Worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism, service, wives. Now, there's obviously a lot of stuff that we have to add in there, like baptism, Lord's Supper, prayer, etc., etc. So, this is a scary question. Not so much for me, but for maybe Pastor Ken. If you had to think through those five things, how are we doing? As a church, in our context, how are we doing? Are we a biblically balanced church? Do you see anything that is out of balance? I think we're doing how can great. we improve? I think we're doing great. I mean, you think we're doing great, but what if Jim thinks we're doing horrible? <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I, I can talk about it more. <laughs> I'm not saying Jim does. He's I never know, told me I that. So. Just throwing you on the bus. Outside looking in for CBC, it's apparent that he must be doing something right. Because... You have gone from a meager congregation of, you know, 40, 50, 60 people when you first started to close to 300 maybe, to 50, 300 in, what, 10 years? 15 now? So there must be something right going on. And I see it in the people that I meet. If you were not um, an outward church, you wouldn't have accepted even me coming here to be part of your Bible study classes. But, you know, you guys have accepted me just as if I was part of CBC. Um, and uh, how you do on a weekly basis with other people, I can't tell that. You can tell that. You know, um, but, it, but you must be doing something right. You must be. Maybe you got to tweak some things here and there. Figure that one out internally, but as an outsider looking in, I think you're doing an awesome job. In terms of um, say evangelism, we um, have the different, you know, the little, um, I forgot what it's called, but for the kids, um, where they're going to come and uh, get candy and just see the characters. Halloween or the trigger, Enchanted Trails. Thank you. <laughs> and so that. I'm just hoping I don't have to dress up this year. <laughs> And then for Easter, and um, also, and I'm not thinking of the adult things right now, but um, reaching out. Oh, yes, of course, our series, parenting class, the different series that Pastor has. And we have, we can email people the invitations or hand them our neighbors, friends invitations. So that, in terms of evangelism, I think, I think we're doing well. And then service, I mean, that's like a given. I just think that serving one another 
we do very well with that here. Um, fellowship, I mean, we've got Catholic community, we've got community groups, um, the different other ways that we fellowship, and then um, worship, our music. Um, I mean, we, you know, giving on a regular basis, and then instruction, I mean, that's like a given right there, too, Pastor Ken. So I, I think we're balanced. <laughs> Anything we can improve on? Maybe we're not necessarily in balance. But maybe we're doing a good job, but maybe. I think we can always improve. There's always room for improvement. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't want to think so how? you're there. Um, we could evangelize more, even personally, for my people. Um, I mean, I don't. This is going to sound like a harsh criticism, but I feel like I see the Betty and Pete show a lot. Like you guys are, and this is a good thing for you. You guys are always serving, and that's great. But there are 300 other people that can pick up some slack and give you guys a break. When I go in and I drop the kids off, or used to drop the kids off at nursery now that Hadley's out of that boggles my mind. Like, the same ladies were in there every week. You know, like, I know that we have a higher percentage than most churches of serving. And that's good. But could we not have a more active serving role, maybe? So that the six, because my fear having been on the pastoral side of things, my fear was always, and at a smaller church, so it was even more intensely on my mind, you know, there was a family named the Vicinis. I swear they did everything. And I was always fearful of burnout because they just went every week. They were always doing something. And my fear is, is that, well, what about the Betty Youngs of CBC, the Pete Belliches, the John and Chris Roberts, all those sorts of people, because you're not the only ones, but all of those sorts of people, like, is there not ways to, I mean, you can't make people serve in those capacities, but is there a way that more people can get involved to bear the brunt of the ministry? If we spread that out, we're going to be able to Yeah. Yep. But they are teaching. They us. do try. Yes. yes. Right. And they yes. do equip. Right. The problem is in the people doing the work. Right. And, and I know I know Tim's working on that. And also, um, it's also coming alongside because I know uh, Valerie Fight was saying that um, people have come to her and say, you know, I'd like to teach, but I'm, I'm afraid. You know, so I think we sh- they're going to implement a program, I forgot what it's called, but where teachers in training, thank you, where they can go in the classroom with experienced teachers, seasoned teachers, and look and be, you know, take them under their wings and really help.
help them to be more comfortable. So I think it's a great thing um, because I know the first time I saw it, and another um, years ago at the other church I was at, um, all the, all it was was um, Linda. You know, I'm going to be gone this week. Are you able to teach one? Right. You know, and I'm really thankful. I said yes because it, it got me out of my comfort zone. I you know, and even even here. Um, I forgot what it was. Somebody asked me um, to sub, and it was it was again getting me out of my comfort zone. But I thought, you know what? There's a need. I I can try. You know, so I think there's a lot of factors. There's fear. Um, uh, just coming alongside really helps. And it, going along that, what we can maybe I think do better here is um, the, the discipleship. I mean, with one another. You know where. I think speaking more into one another's lives. I, I, I just think we can do better. I think it's just not just because our church. I just think in general, um, most people get busy. And yeah. Get involved. And to be able to not be afraid to speak into another's life, but you have to get to know them first, and that helps to be in class. <coughs> Um, or different ministries, and so the more you get to know someone, um, and you become friends and closer, then you can lovingly speak into their lives, um, and that is biblical. You know, that is the loving thing to do. You see something. I'm grateful. I mean, I may not like what I hear, but I'm grateful for others coming alongside. My sister's one of them. You know, I told her. I said, if you ever, um, you know, if I ever fight back or whatever, or don't say something back and I but I don't like you saying just you keep on me because I know that you love me and I know that you're telling me the truth and you're pointing me to Christ you're pointing me back to the truth and I need that that my soul needs that and that's for my my God and God's glory so Karen got anything to say it's okay if you do. I mean, the church is made up of sinners, so we all fall short. So, I mean, I'm sure there's areas where we all have to grow. Quiet tonight, sorry. It's okay. I just know that usually in the quiet people, there's nuggets of wisdom just sitting in there, <laughs> and sometimes you just gotta like. Jab it out sometimes. Like my grandpa. My grandpa is one of the wisest men I know. But he'll just sit there and be quiet. And then when he talks, you can't even hear him talk. So you just got to ask him and then. Out, pop, op, out pops a gem. So. Same with Mallory at like community groups. She rarely says anything, but when she says something, it's usually pretty good. All right, well, if there's nothing else, then I am done. Seven minutes early. So, uh, let's pray, and then we'll, next week, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss the spirit, which I know we spent at least a week or two last semester talking about, I think. But we'll talk about the spirit specifically in relationship to the church and living according to the spirit. So let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for 
making it clear what we are to do, and I pray that we would do it well, not for our own pride and fame, but for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.